when you eat late, you get chubby. You get chubby if you eat. What are yeah. you? Really? Yeah. How does that work? And I can be contacted on any of those. Blah, 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 blah. Spice up your life. Hi there, my name is Wes Trigg. I'm the founder of Elixir Fitness, triathlon and trail running holidays here in Estoril, Portugal. Welcome to the Velocino podcast. Hello and welcome to the Velocino podcast where the best stories have not yet been written. This week, we're talking about moving away to far-flung places. And this week, we're very lucky to have Wes joining us, who used to be a local to where we are, living in the beautiful town of Aylesbury. Just so you know, if anyone does know Aylesbury, beautiful is very much an ironic description here. Uh, and has moved out to near Estoril in Portugal. So Wes, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So what was it that inspired you to move from rainy Aylesbury out to the beautiful Portugal and living in the sunshine. What possibly could it be that, that inspired you? Well, I actually quite enjoyed living in Aylesbury oh, <laughs> because the countryside around it is stunning. Uh, the farms, Chiltern Hills, as you know, for cycling and, and for running, is very accessible and a good place to go and train and to be outdoors. The, 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 the reasons why, uh, there's quite a few reasons. You hit the nail on the head with the weather. But more importantly, I was working in London. I worked in the city for an investment bank. I'd been there for six years or so, spending many hours every day commuting and seeing people who were 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years older than me. And they'd also done that all their lives. And I just thought, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. It's although you know, we get to live um, very nice lives with nice houses, nice cars, nice clothes, um, you work very long hours and I had a very stressful job, like many people do in the city. And although I enjoyed my job, it's it's quite a thankless task and you don't often get the pat on the back. I've been talking with my wife for a number of years. Wouldn't it be great to go and move away, live abroad and have a more relaxed life? And we said, yeah, let's do it when we're older, you know, like when we're retired. And I've actually, I've got some cousins that live in Jersey and they've been there uh, probably 10 years or so. Um, when we first went to visit them. And although Jersey is a small island and obviously it's English speaking, we went and visited them a couple of times. The The pace of life was so completely different. And they said, yeah, why don't you just go and do it now? You know, we had a young son at the time. You don't want to do it when he's a bit older. Take the chance. It was actually on a Sunday afternoon when we were in Jersey in a pub. My wife and I talked about it after a couple of beers and we said, let's just do it. You know, let's just find a way of moving abroad. And that was the, the starting moment that, that, that sort of triggered us to go, let's do it now and not in the future. When you were looking at that moment, because I think there's lots of us that sit there and go, wow, moving abroad, nicer skies, more sunlight, warmer air. The more I'm talking about it, the more I'm thinking, I wish I was there. The more I'm thinking I moved to the wrong country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, <laughs> if you were going to pick a country to go to you were in south africa and you ended up here what did you do wrong Got married yeah 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 and then you got then you got trapped but when you're thinking about all these things what were the kind of things that were holding you back because it must have been it's great to have that conversation in the pub but i guess it's then that 
chat on the way home and the thinking that we're actually going to do this? What were the kind of things that, that were the hardest to leave? We looked at all the positives, first of all. Like we looked at, okay, where would we want to move to? English-speaking countries are just too far away and we're very close to our family and friends in the UK. So it had to be Europe. Um, we also wanted to be somewhere by the sea, by the ocean. Now, I come originally from Essex, um, just outside Southend-on-Sea. And my wife keeps saying to me that she's really happy that we chose Estoril and Kishkaish and not Southend. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we looked at locations, you know, how easy it is to get around I've been going on holiday to the Algarve for 30 odd years. So I know, I know Portugal very well. I've never been to Lisbon, but from our initial research, there's a lot of multinational businesses uh, in the Lisbon area. There's, a, there's quite a big expat community of different Europeans, as well as a lot of Americans living here, which we didn't know about before. When we were looking at locations, we we're like, okay, it's two hours, two and a half hours to get to any UK airports, plus various other European airports, as well as international airports. And because of all the low-cost airlines, we knew that we could go back quickly or people can come and see us relatively cheaply. So that was um, a real plus for us. Like, okay, Portugal it is, and Lisbon, now we just need to find a, I need to find a job, and so did my wife. One of the things that was a possible challenge, you know, we're really going to do this, is how's this going to work? And the company I worked for is a French investment bank, and a lot of the guys and girls that I work with, they've lived and worked all over the world, you know, and, and learned different languages and have just settled in those different places. And I was like, well, if they can do it, why don't we do it? And, you know, I think a lot of people, I don't know statistically if this is correct or not, but I think a lot of people that do emigrate from the UK they generally will go to an English-speaking country because it's easy. We take the easy way out. We just sort of like the challenge of, of coming to, to Portugal and to learn a new language and to learn a new culture, to really embed ourselves. I don't, you know, we're still immigrants, but we want to be part of the, the Portuguese way of life. There wasn't really many things that held us back. Uh, the family thing was probably the hardest thing. And like I said, because of the ease of it is going backwards and forwards, that, that sort of it made it an easier decision to make. And one of the things about this place and Portugal itself is those, the, the crime rate is, is really low. It's a really safe place to live. You compare, there is crime, obviously, but you know our son, he's 10 now, he's 11 this year. He's been here for five years and he's growing up in a fantastic environment for him. And we know that as he grows up to college and university, wherever he goes to UK or stays in Portugal, he could go anywhere in the world. And you know, he's fluent in Portuguese. A lot of his friends are Spanish, uh, Portuguese, French, uh, South African, American, Italian, and he can speak bits of those different languages. So he's going to be multilingual. And you know, I wish more English people were multilingual. We just go wherever and just speak English because we expect people to speak English. You know, now living here, it's sad when you just hear people going, "I want two beers, please, a plate of chips, and stuff like that." <laughs> you should always try. You know, wherever you go on holiday, I think you should always try and speak a little bit of the local lingo for politeness. It, it goes both ways. They, if you try, the people enjoy. You've actually tried to speak it, even if they we have a miscommunication, they like it. So I think that's. Actually moving here, one of the challenges is, is learning Portuguese, which I'm still terrible at. And my accent, being a sort of you know home counties, Essex accent, doesn't really translate very well into Portuguese. Um, <laughs> my friends even now, I've got you know, quite a lot of Portuguese friends, they're like, we don't understand you, Wes, speaking English. <laughs> well, it happens to me all the time. So. Yeah, yeah. In English. Yeah. 
In English. Yeah. What, what about in German? Can, can you still speak German? I'm losing it. You are losing it, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. One, uh, there, there will be a time where I will be like without language. Yeah. And then just, just like... Would, would you speak in emojis or something like that? I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A poop emoji. <laughs> poop emoji. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said about the, the, the language uh, in, in Portugal. Um, yeah, I always feel like if I go to another country, the, the, I, I feel like I should learn, you know, the basics. Please, thank you, and two yeah. beers, please. As long as I can say those yeah. three three things, that gets you out of most trouble, doesn't it? You know? I think they're, they're the three most important things for an Englishman to know what yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, because then you can be in the pub and make another ridiculous decision, can't you? I mean, that's that's the thing. <laughs> and, and your 10-year-old son, is uh, he's fluent in Portuguese, right? Yeah, yeah, and whenever I try and say anything, he just looks at me, rolls his eye, and goes, "Dad, you don't say it like that." So, it's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. So you've gone out to Portugal with your day job, as it were. What's it been like trying to make the transition into the fitness side? Because with your background, you've come from you know playing a little bit of sport, getting into sport, but it doesn't sound like it was like a like a you didn't have a business here in the UK and trans transpose it out and all that kind of stuff so what's it been like setting a, a business up in another country and getting into the fitness scene I take my wife first of all you know she had to learn portuguese straight away because she went straight into working in the gyms and they taught portuguese in the gyms so she was learning all the moves all the choreography even though the choreography is in english when you learn it she had to learn the portuguese so that when she was teaching the gyms it was in Portuguese. And so I, I think I can, uh, I, I can demonstrate my one knowledge of the Portuguese language, which is that if I was to say push, push actually means. Oh, indeed. So uh, what? So push in Portuguese, actually, the, so the word push in port in Portuguese means pull. So if you're trying to say to somebody to push and pull, they will pull and push. Oh, my goodness. Gracious. Yeah, the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's, it's not, not the same way, but it's said the same way. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Sorry, carry on. Sorry. So you all no, had, to, no. had to learn. Yeah. So she had, from, from the get-go, from the, as soon as we came here, she had to learn Portuguese and get work in the gyms. It was an uphill struggle. Um, and what she did on the side of that was actually um, do a lot more PT, personal training work, um, using the international school that uh, our son went to, building up friends and contacts from there to build her private business up outside of the gyms, so, which was mostly in English because they were they wanted... There were English people, or actually the Portuguese wanted an English speaker. So that was quite interesting from her point of view. So she's built up her business separately to mine because she was focusing on what she did in the UK as already being a fitness instructor and personal trainer. And then she was continuing that here. But the this very steep learning curve came to do Portuguese, do it in Portuguese. Whereas myself, when I left London, the company I worked for, they weren't going to let me work for them in Portugal. So I had to seek find a new job. So I just went into LinkedIn, put Lisbon Jobs IT. The first one I applied for was in the telecoms industry, which I don't, you know, I've never worked for before, but the role was similar. I did a phone call, phone interview, a face-to-face, a couple more phone interviews, and I got the job. It was a new team they were setting up. Half the team here in Lisbon, Portugal, the other half are in Warsaw in Poland. We did shift work, which allowed me to have to work really long hours, but also to have um, quite a lot of time off as well. So we do four days on, four days off for the first sort of three to six months. We had a very different work arrangement. So I had a lot of day times where I didn't have to work. So that allowed me to actually you know, go and explore on my bike or go out some runs and, and just get used to the area a bit and go, wow, actually, this is it's a fantastic place to go and to go and train. And then I wanted to find 
to go and find other people that, 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 to exercise with. Via Facebook, the Portuguese love Facebook. Everything is done via Facebook. And I'm not really a Facebook user, so I miss so much information. Um, but this local guy from Lisbon, he was advertising um, a run to try out the new Sinto watch from like, three years ago. Um, so I said, oh, message him. Can I go out running with you? And he goes, yeah, sure, sure. So and that's how I started running with him. And he, he turned out, his name is Nelson Grasser. And he's one of the, the, the sort of top uh, Portuguese runners up to sort of, sort of 25, 30K sort of distances. And, and he's won you know, a number of races between sort of 2015 and 2019 um, at that sort of distance. And I was like, you know, just by chance, found him. And we trained that first year, 2016. We trained the entire year together uh, in Sintra. And his network of friends, people he trained with, introduced me to those other people. So, you know, he's good friends with uh, uh, Joao Pereira, the international triathlete. So I got to go cycling with Joao Pereira and uh, Melanie Santos, who's the top Portuguese uh, triathlete. And so these guys, you know, are on the, the World uh, Triathlon Series and have been competing for a number of years. Joao Pereira, you know, is household name here in Portugal for people that do running sports and triathlon everyone knows he is and I'm cycling with these guys and you know on the track doing some interval sessions and I was like this this can't be happening this is unreal <laughs> and even their, their coach at the time a guy called uh, Lino said after one of our sessions he traveled all over the world and he said this is the best place in the world to live and train for for, for running or triathlon and at the time I was like that's a bit cocky <laughs> but actually as i've spent more and more time here uh, and lived through all the seasons and been here you know, it's my fifth year of living here it, there can't be many places that have the sort of the climate that we do with the accessibility to the facilities we have we don't have the best facilities in the world um, but we have access to tracks. We have access to very good road surfaces for cycling. We've got great pathways along the, the Rua Tagus, which goes from Lisbon out to the ocean. And even from where I live in Kishkaish, up the coast, the, the, the road surfaces and the, the they really do think about the sports side of elements. And there's a lot of sporting events put on. Road surface is fantastic. You can be cycling within half an hour of here. And you won't see a, you know, a car on a Sunday. It's like you're just in the middle of the countryside, basically, on these like tiny, tiny roads, and there's lots of climbs to do. And then you have the sea view. You always come back, always come back on the ocean roads, and you just got the Atlantic Ocean there. And when you've got some really good waves, you're just like, you know, you're trying not to look at the road, but you're looking at these awesome waves and the power of these waves coming in that come away from you know the Americas. It's just you know, it's stunning. So. I'm very lucky to fall in with these people, and I don't see them all, the off, all that often now. But you know, they introduced me to other groups of people, and now I'm in with a couple of teams. So, when you're training with these top athletes, and you say that you're training with them, as opposed to the way that Niels and I train with other people, which is a long way behind them, speak and for yourself, back in the distance. If you're training with these guys, I, I guess you're performing at a similar level as well. Then, I guess, right? I would like to be an international professional, yes, but um, not quite at, at that level. But uh, certainly um, in Portugal, from the trail running perspective, I'm probably the top international trail runner here. Luckily, there isn't a huge number of international trail runners, but I've turned up for the last three years 
no, four years of racing. And each year I've improved with my training and with the results. And I think in 2017 and 2018, I took part in the, the local uh, Lisbon circuit, which was like six races, both north and south of Lisbon. The first year uh, had a, a handful of podiums. These were age group podiums, um, not the actual first, second, third, but I was first, second and third on the age group podium. I'm now uh, vet 40. Um, and then 2018, I actually came second overall in the same circuit and I was the first vet 40 as well. Again, it was six races all in the local area, trail races between sort of 15 and 25 kilometers with a mixture of fairly fast runs and then some more technical and, and more um, positive negative climbing. That's through my team with the Go Runners, the, the Lisbon team. You know, what they sort of wanted to get our team more into is there's two sort of trail running groups and competitions in, in Portugal. There's the uh, Association of Trail Running Portugal, which sort of oversee uh, a high number of races up and down the country. And for those competitions, they have different distances and you have to hit a minimum of six races, two from each region to then qualify for being on the points board. Very competitive. Um, lots of the uh, northern teams you know, um, do very well at that. But the other sort of emerging association is the um, Federation of Camping and, and Mountain, Mountaineering. And they administer the sky running uh, series here in Portugal. And this is something that I started following, like seeing the likes of Kilian Journey and, and, you know, these men and women racing ridiculous mountains up and down in, in Europe and, uh, and North America that, wow, you know, this is something that I really want to get involved in. I think one of my strengths is, is my you know, technical skills and, and running uphill um, as fast as I can and then trying to run downhill as fast as I can, which is basically the elements of sky running. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so uh, I, I started doing that and in 2018, I came 10th overall in the series and I was second place vet. Uh, and again, I had two or three podiums, age group podiums um, that year. 2019, I've not done as many races because I've had this niggling Achilles injury, which sort of limited what I could do training wise. But the races I did take part in, I managed to get a you know, an age group podium again. And the highlight for me this year, there was a there's two races. I went to Madeira in, in May, part of the sky running Madeira um, circuit. And first I've been to Madeira and that's, it's such a beautiful island. You know, I know there are trail running teams and groups over there and it's a fantastic place, proper mountains, proper jungles. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's stunning, beautiful. And I, uh, that's an international race. And I came in in 13th position. And I was, I think I was third uh, in the M40 race. And yeah, just really stoked with that result. We enjoyed their local poncha after, which is, which is like a rum cocktail, homemade stuff, which was a, went down way too easily, but it was certainly worthy of the celebration after, after the race. Um, and then the, the other highlight for me from last year was uh, at the end of the season, I went to a place in the, sort of in the north to the centre of Portugal called uh, Loza. And um, it's actually this year, it's on the Golden Golden Trail Series, Salmon um, National Series. So it's a, you know, it's a popular international event. Last year in November was like the test event for it. I came home in, a, I managed the top 10. I did, a, a, I think it was ninth place. Again, I was uh, second in my age group. And, you know, I beat some really strong, strong guys from, um, from my age group. And some of these guys were international runners. Uh, we were battling all the way through. One of the 
guys, local guys, the top Portuguese athlete who's just coming back from injury and he wasn't match fit, shall we say. But uh, we had such a good race and you know, real good camaraderie throughout the race. And I was able to beat him by a couple of minutes at the end. So yeah, it, was a, it was a great weekend. I did the, the vertical kilometer race before that. So I did two podiums in two days. So that was a real, if, a real good sign off to the end of the season. And I, there was races I could have done after that. But I thought, no, I'm, two podiums, two days, really good. So really enjoyed hitting those podiums and the target for 2020 with my races is actually not just hit the age group podium let's try and get some like top fives overall and see if i can get a, a top three on one or two of the races so that's that's my target for 2020 when you're looking from where you've got to and where you want to get to in that getting into the top five other than the obvious running faster what is it that you need to do what what's going to be the difference because how long are these runs over, by the way? How long does the event take, these big ones? Yeah, they're between like um, 25 and, and 55 kilometers, depending on the race, and obviously the altimetry. So usually we're running minimum 2,000 meters up and down, up to, I think, Madeira this summer is 4,200 meters of, of climbing and descending. So what is it? <laughs> sorry, sorry just let me interrupt yeah. like, <laughs> I, I know there will be listeners out there just thinking what the hell <laughs> 25 to 50 I don't know what that is in feet but it's a lot <laughs> that's what I cycle at the weekend <laughs> 4,000 meters of uh, just well, running well not the climbing just the distance I know that that <laughs> is absolutely incredible and and over that sort of distance and those sorts of climbs I'm guessing, like I said, to get into the top five, it's not always just as simple as I'm going to run faster. What is it that that you have to do to get yourself from where you've you're obviously really successful already, but into that into that almost proper elite top five places? You have to train right. You have to think about your body. Like you know, I'm I'm 42 this year, and you don't you know, look it. I look at some of. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I think I think you know, some of the people uh, that you know, in this top five, top ten, they're also vets, and some are forty-five plus. There's one or two guys that are fifty plus, and you're like, wow, these are seriously strong athletes. It's it comes down to training right, listening to your body, eating really healthily, not really healthily, you know, eating healthily, um, but also uh, I'm really focusing on in the last year and this year on stretching rolling massage and not overdoing it i don't want it's not about putting x number of kilometers um on the uh, on the schedule each week it's making sure that each of the exercises that i do the sessions i do are quality last week i did an hour and a half just one stretch routine that was it an hour and a half just stretching and it really helps those muscles recuperate a lot quicker you know i don't have the equipment where they have the people their legs in the in the, all that special equipment. I had to make do with a roller. I go and see my friend who's a um, sports masseuse. And it's just preparing yourself as best you can. And previously, previous years, um, I've just raced, just gone and raced and not really thought about or planned racing or trained for a particular race. I've just taken it as part of parcel that we'll just go and run that and we'll just go as hard as we can and do as best as we can. Um, this year, I'm going to try and be more to plan for it, more to think about um, the races I'm targeting and to plan my training up to each race so that I go to each race 
knowing that race I really need to do well. Uh, I want to perform as best as I can. Um, so it's then from the race day going backwards and working out what that plan is and, and making sure that I don't you know, enter a small race just, just for the fun of it. I actually just relax when I need to relax and train when I need to train. And when you're over the, in the distances, what kind of race tactics do you have to have to employ we've spoken to a couple of people who've done long distance events where the biggest thing that they keep saying is don't go off too fast because you, you you burn that energy so quickly you've got the adrenaline going they've said that you see people fall off a cliff and just oh, not they can't finish the race but their performance drops and their power output drops dramatically i'm sure over those sorts of distances particularly you've got that mix of descent and, and climbing what kind of race tactics do you have to employ to make sure you're kind of a top five competitor? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think it's, you know, the last couple of years, like I said, I've been doing up to 25 kilometers where it really is you can go all out. You know, you, you go start to finish, you just go as hard as you can. And the tactics are you just stay with that, that, that group uh, and you try and keep in contact with the person in front of you and you try and reel them in, next person reel in, next person reel in. When you then, and you, nutrition you have to think about what snacks and what hydration you're taking it's fairly straightforward once you know you know once you've done a few races what what your body takes and when you need to take it i think and this is the learning point for me this year is when i'm going to these longer races you know doing marathon distances and above you know the first couple of ultras it really comes down to planning when you think nutrition needs to be taken looking at the race profile so you know and if you can do it beforehand do part of the, the race beforehand in terms of you know, wrecking the, the types of the climbs and the types of descents. But looking at when you need to take on the, the solids, when you need to take on your hydration. And through my training program, where you involve different runnings, so whether you're doing a threshold run or whether you're doing a long run or I'm doing a hill session like I've done today, it's making sure you incorporate your strength training into that as well. Because that's, again, something that gets overlooked, your strength training, where you know, if you can build up your muscles, you build some strength into those muscles, when you, especially for the longer races, you, you, you're always, everyone's fatigued. Everyone is fatiguing. But if you know and you have the confidence from your training and from you know, what you've been through the last you know, six, eight weeks of your training program that you're strong and you can, you can work there, you then start picking off positions. And the idea is that when you get to the end, Yes, I should be completely on, on dead and on the ground, but actually I've worked it in such a way that I've had those peaks where I've got some, okay, I'm feeling good. I've got a hill to climb. Let's push the climbs. And, and for me, my strengths is my climbing. Um, I'm still, I'm not, I'm quicker on the downhills than I was two years ago, um, just from practice and practice and watching other guys and girls go down ridiculously quick. But the hills is what I, is my strength. So it's like, that's where I push. Uh, I push on the hills, I can drop, you know, many people on the hills. And then it's then just making sure I get enough of a gap that I can then try and keep that gap on the, on the downhills. In the end, any race, you know, all the guys and girls that run against, they're all top athletes. They're all great guys. It comes down to mentally, how hard are you going to go into, you know, your reserves, your mental reserves, your body can do it. Everyone's body can do it. We're, we're, we're tuned to race and to compete. That's what we've been training ourselves for. So it's making sure that I'm hurting, but I know I can keep pushing this pace for another 10 minutes. And it's always those short-term goals. It's like, okay, I've got this climb to get out of the way. Let's push on this climb, take some hydration on, 
next goal and you break that race down so that you know you it doesn't seem like oh no i've got another 20k and i've got nothing left because that's just in your head so it's very much mental and i've learned that from you know listening and watching the um the pros you know watching the, the guys and girls that do it professionally and uh what they say and it's certainly a uh, an interesting side to, to race race strategy. I would love to say after I've heard all all about your running that you are really shit cyclist. That you are not. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you're you're really good. Excuse I remember. How, how long how long did it take you to get up the Rocacoba? Yeah, that's exactly what I just wanted to mention. So basically, we went together to to Girona. Yeah. A whole group of us, I don't know, 10 people or so. And we started all at the same time just to come to the top where Wes was sitting with his little picnic, taking photos of us coming up the hill. And he was already waiting there like 15 minutes. Do you know what? That That is one of those things. If you can get to the top of a climb faster than your mates, you've got to do as much as you can to make it look like you've been there for ages. So you've you've managed to move out to this sort of mecca of fantastic places to train, whether you're on the bike, whether mm. you're swimming, and whether you're running, yeah, you've had the opportunity to meet some fantastic international superstars and get to train with them and see how they train and those sorts of things. What was that first step for you that you had to take to, to start going, right, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this? What was, that, what was the first step for you setting up your own, your own business? Yeah, I think it was, how do I do it? <laughs> how do I... Um, go from working full time for a multinational to having my own business. And and I'm still I'm, you know, not scratching my head at that question because I know the answers, but it's like, how do you make the transition? How do you, you know, how do we keep paying the bills, keep the house overhead, food on the table, and do do what you love doing, what your passion is. And there's the way I've done it, I'm still working full time at the moment. But I have an agreement with my line manager where I work when it's very busy. We work all sorts of hours. We work into the evenings, we work in weekends. And when it's quiet, I can go and train. I can go and look after my son, pick up from school. There's that flexibility. He understands my dream and what I want to do. And he's accommodating me so that when I have clients uh, wanting to spend the morning running or I want to take two, three days off work to do a, a training camp, then as long as I can work uh, around that with, with, our, with my responsibilities at work, then he's accepting that. And we're doing it sort of on an ad hoc basis at the moment. And he knows at some point there'll be a turning point where, okay, we need to make this formal and go to some sort of part-time arrangement. But for now, while I'm still in the infancy of the business and we're bringing in the clients, he's let me have that flexibility. See, I think that's, that is a brilliant thing for a line manager to do as well actually i think if you're leading a, a group of people that rather than be so easy for him to just he or she to sit there and just say no you can't do it um yeah but the truth is i can imagine that you have more commitment to your to that person and to uh you know the times when they really need you uh you've got more commitment to them because of the flexibility mm -hmm. they've given you and uh yeah you know exactly Uh, that's great for some people. You know, we, we work in a, you know, my, my team are 24-7. I work office hours uh, because I've, I've moved the role over the last two years into an office-based role. Lots of people will call me out of hours, not so much now, but they still get, you know, some manager from a team in the US or in India uh, or Middle East saying, oh, they, they ring me up and I'm like, well, I'm, I've finished now. I don't need to talk to them. But if my boss calls me, 
I'll answer it and say, okay, what do you want me to do? And he might just ask for a bit of information, which he knows I've got. So I very much have a very good working relationship with my, with my line manager. And he is he's incredibly um, understanding. He understands that I've worked in the corporate world for 20 years now. And he knows that my heart isn't in it and my heart is in my, what I want to go and do. So he says, look, I can't stop you doing that. I, I can't, you know, that's a fantastic dream to have. So let's work out how we can make it work for me and for you until we get to that point where we either go to part-time or we shake hands, we go, thank you very much. You know, thanks for my time work and moving on. That's really, that's really good. Moving to having your own business, what are the current services that you offer? What are the first things that you're offering? Is it, is it just running or is it like a full triathlon package that you're offering to people? There's, there's two types of training camps I'm, I'm offering. It's the triathlon training camp. The, the default is a seven-day uh, camp, so Saturday to Saturday. People came out and they will train with, with me and a couple of my colleagues and we will do you know, schedule usually two sessions a day of cycling, running, of swimming, and we'll mix those up between the whole week. The Wednesday is usually a rest day. We can either go, we can just chill out, or I can go and show them a, a local you know, tourist attraction if people want to do that. Or we can also put on like you know, a stretch session or we can do a hit session. And we also have a masseuse that can do some sports massage. And there's also yoga as a possible extra if people want to go and do that type of thing. And one of the things I want to highlight with the triathlon, the whole purpose is then people coming out to train, but it's actually to rejuvenate themselves as well. So it's not like I'm not going to be timing everyone and writing the scores down how people have progressed over a week. It's like you can come out, you can focus for a week of training with your friends or teammates or even just on your own and you're going to come and meet new people but you're just with like-minded people that want to come and train you've got a, some races you want to do later in the year um, or you want to you know, get ready for the new season and it's just you know coming out training feeling rejuvenized and uh, ready and motivated for, for what's coming next and then the trail running is the other camp i'm organizing and they are shorter in duration. They're between four and five days, depending on whether we put a, a race into it. Because there's a lot of race, local races that are available. So, you know, very small costs, it's like 10 euros. So I'll probably incorporate those costs into the package. And the trail running is, again, we'll run each day. Uh, we'll go walk on the beach in the afternoon, do some stretching, maybe do a bit of strength, strength work. And so they're the two main camps, trail running and triathlon. The other thing uh, I'm also offering, which uh, thanks to Neil's brilliant mind last summer, was actually having an Airbnb experience whereby actually people that are on holiday here with their trainers can actually, instead of going painting or wine tasting or on a boat trip, they can go trail running. And so I launched that at the end of last summer. I've had a um, small number of clients, a um, couple of couples, and then a family come out with me uh, for a morning. We run for about an hour and a half, two hours. And I show them some of the trails that we run around in the Sintra National Park. They get the views, they get the pictures, and they get that extra memory they wouldn't have had. They've just been running along the front or just been walking down the, down the shopping mall or gone to see a museum. So it offers something extra. And that is one way I hope to really build on that side of things so I can create some extra revenue in between the, the camps that you know I can't do every single week. They'll be split out each month. But the, the, the half-day sessions, people can come out, they can experience what I'm offering and what the Sintra Park, you know, the, the beauty of it and the trails that it offers. And then hopefully people will like to come back again. 
or recommend it to their friends or running running groups to come out and we can have a bigger group. There's the two camps and then there's the trail running experience. That's what that's what's currently offer. Do you know that trail running experience is such a good idea because the number of times when you go away, you know, like on a family holiday or with some mates or whatever, and if running is your thing or cycling is your thing, it it's so cool to actually be able to just go out with somebody who's a local guide and just go for a run, see a national park. And it's, if it's, you guys are like 30 minutes from Lisbon, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. People out there staying in Lisbon there for three or four days. Oh, oh that's a really good idea. I like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Sport is such a good way of also like seeing stuff. Walking is just a little bit too slow to cover distance and cars are just too fast and you sit in a, in a, in a box, right? So either cycling or running are fantastic ways of uh, of exploring. And as you just mentioned, it's all about the experience. And yeah, that's, yeah. I love it. So basically for, for your listeners, we will put the Airbnb link in the description of the of the podcast. So just that you know how to reach out to us. There will be other links as well. Yeah. When you've got people for a short amount of time for a camp or something like that, what do you focus on for them? Because I could imagine on the one hand, you know, you can break them down to their training goals and they can focus on certain things. But at a camp, it must be slightly different because you're looking at perhaps shorter term goals and looking at specific things. Do you, I mean, how do you balance like that technique side with other aspects of the sport? It's, it's tricky because everyone comes um, on a camp with their own goals and their own, you know, agenda for what they want to try and get out of the, of the week time they're with me um, and they also have their own um, goals for the season you know most people I'm expecting will be here do actually race so they're doing triathlon or they're, do, or they're doing running races or trail races I want to focus at people that have that experience you there's a big market going to the novice world as well people have just taken it up I think if I can build the business up enough and I can bring on more full-time coaches then we can look at that at that side of it as well but I'm focusing on for the triathlon, people that do um, middle distance, you know, 70.3s and up, people that have, you know know what they're doing, know really what they want to get out of it, out of the, the camp themselves. And as part of when people book on, I would want to, I'd be asking them, you know, what are your goals? What, what are your goals for the season? What are your goals for this holiday? And then see if there's a bit of a, a consensus across the people that are, that are there too, so I can try and cover some of the things that people are really looking for. It might not suit everyone's needs, but the idea is to make the majority of people feel that they've got something out of the, out of the camp. And that is always tricky, isn't it, in a, in a group situation, is making sure that everyone gets something out of it. And I guess the other great thing is if you've got a group of athletes and like-minded people together, they tend to learn from each other as well. You know, you pick up all those little tips off how somebody else does something. Even if it's chats about nutrition, you know, over a cake or a coffee at one of the breaks, you just kind of see where somebody's, you know, got a special trick for transition or they've just got yeah. something else that you can get. So you can get as much off the, the your fellow athletes as anything else. When it comes to these triathlon camps, is it that people can reach out to you and tell you like, look, I would love to do a triathlon camp at this and this time? So book me in with my friends or is it uh, you have a set calendar? No, I, I put a calendar up there onto our website. Um, I think if you work the other way and just took requests ad hoc, you make yourself open to logistically having a big nightmare and you could double book or it's just a big headache. I think if you put up the dates um, that are available, you can control your calendar. And if you want to come, they'll arrange those dates. They'll find the dates that work for them and their colleagues. 
and they might not be able to make the, the March dates, but maybe they can do the April dates. That, that's the way I've got it, and that's why I, um, I would like to work. If there's a group of people, say maybe a triathlon coach comes to me, and I've actually got, I'm talking to one guy at the moment from Leeds, he's been working uh, with his group, and they go to um, Lanzarote, I think, um, each year. But he's been to Portugal before, loves the place, wants to come back here, bring his group here. If they like, okay, we want to come on these dates, or well, actually the camp on this date, maybe there's potentially, because it's a big enough group, that we could move it forward a week or two. And if it is a big group, then you know I'll cater more to their needs because actually we've got, a, that meets the quota of what I want or, and some of who I'm targeting for a week because usually... I'm looking for sort of eight to 10 people, quite small groups, because then the group dynamic works better, I think. And then for me, you know, although I've got um, my colleagues that come and help do some coaching, if we've got, you know, up to nine, 10 people, I think that dynamic works well uh, and I can control it and everyone should interact quite well in that group. Bigger groups, it's more difficult and you've got people with them to you know, manage the group around. The camp sound great. You've made the big move out to Portugal a few years ago now. How far off do you think you're actually going to be at that point of living the dream, making your entire life into these camps? Is If, if this year is successful, are you thinking two years' time? Is it three years' time or is it next year? Yeah, I always err on the side of caution, always optimistic, but always a realist as well. And, you know, and knowing this place, there's a lot of people that have set up businesses here, a lot of entrepreneurs, people succeed and fail. I know there, there will likely be some failure on the way or some things I don't get right and it's back to the drawing board. Um, but the target is for this year, I've got half a dozen camps for the first half of the year, then I've got to plan some for the second half. If I can get sort of 40 to 50 um, guests this year across the, the triathlon trials and the, the experience, then to me, I feel that that's, that's my target for year one. This is, this is year one. Then next year, uh, to build on that, to get repeat business, if I can, you know, double that to 100 people, I think I'd be very much on the way to to going to a part-time mode with current uh, employer. Um, so I think year three, 2022, uh, is the year where I'd like to try and make it, you know, break it into full-time. There's so much work involved, so much social media, so much marketing to do, and you can only do so much when you're working full-time. <laughs> Um, and I don't have a assistant sitting next to me to, to help me out. Um, I have to train my son to do more. And he's, he's not quite got a mobile phone yet. So when he's got a mobile phone, he can do my social media. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but I think I've got realistic targets. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think 2022 is the year where I can go. Yeah, this is going to be my full-time job now. It's great to hear, Wes, that you've still got this vision as well. You've moved out there in 2014, did you say, 2015? Yeah, 2015. Yeah. So you moved out there in 2015. And so it will have been seven years of dedication, thoughtful process, getting yourself through it. But you will achieve that goal of making sport yeah. your family lifestyle and your life in a fabulous new country. And it's great to think. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think of, well, I'll just go out there and do it. But it, it they've got to realize it takes... A number of years and still a lot of dedication to get yourselves there well look yeah and it's one i guess one of the questions i've i've got is now you've been through this you, you're almost on that journey to, to to getting the goal and you've made that big move is this something that you would recommend 
to other people in the UK? It is. I think there's two elements to that. It's one, moving abroad. Um, it's everyone says, oh, we couldn't do it. You know, it's too difficult. Nothing's impossible. If you want to do something and you want to live your dream, you know, whether you don't want to do it in fitness, but you want to go and do your own business, you can do it. You know, it might not succeed first, or you might have to change your business to something else that will work, but everyone's quite, you know, no one's just stuck with one skill. Everyone can do other things and, and move. And you, I was chatting to someone at the weekend. She was a vet studying toxicology, uh, and now she's um, managing quite a decent restaurant in the local area. So everyone changes their careers and they find what allows them to stay in the country to enjoy living here. Not everyone might live their dream, but they find that they can live abroad where you have the weather, you have the culture, you have the, the ease, um, you have the slower pace of life. And you, know, you see people that have made it success and you see people that are, are hard up. You know, Portugal is a very poor country. People don't realise that they see the, you know, the very you know, touristic, expensive places where the Brits and the Germans and the Dutch and the French come to. But it's actually one of the poorest countries in Europe. And you do see a lot of hardship here, but you know that it's it's a place of opportunity uh, and there's always opportunities. So if you're willing to grind it out, to understand what it means to live here, to, uh, to go through all the bureaucracy that comes with living in a Latin country and you are willing to um, overcome the language and learn the language, you can achieve what you want to do. And uh, I strongly believe that. And that's what I've always said to your know, friends and family that have come out here. That like, oh, we won't do that, we won't do that. But you can. If you want to do it, it's entirely possible. Nothing's, well, virtually nothing's impossible. I think there's a key takeaway here um, that it's, it's not about the idea, it's about the execution. Because a lot of people have the ideas and a lot of people are like dreaming, but actually doing it, it's a different thing. And I remember when we were chatting last time we met actually in um, Girona, when we had like a little um, cycling reunion. And Wes was basically telling me that he is aiming for doing it full time. Honestly, I had no doubt that you are going going this way and that you are the the character that that can do it. Yeah, I'm I'm really proud actually. What I found was really interesting. Even when you said you'd had that first idea with your wife, obviously in the pub after a couple of beers, the question was then, how do we do it? The question was, yeah. what's not gonna, what's going to hold us back? Why shouldn't we do it? Um, what are the steps? It's we've made the decision. How do we make this happen? And that positive attitude and that focus has obviously kept you guys going. And now you're living in this wonderful country, great place to bring up your son. And you're just about living the dream that, that you had. It's fabulous. Wes, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you today. Thank you so, so much for your insights into both what it's like moving abroad, the upsides of it. The ideas of Portugal. By the way, your description of the runs in Portugal, I think I was almost there. I was about to take up running. Yeah. <laughs> steady now. Steady. Oh. <laughs> But it's it There's plenty of mountain bike trails as well. There's it's great for mountain biking here as well. And I've got some great, great mates that will take you out and you'll have a great time on the on the bikes. What you can't see, Mike and I actually have packed our suitcase already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're there. We're there. It's been lovely just just hearing the stories of, of where it's going. And I'm sure many of the listeners will be interested and we'll probably have a few more people who are listening on that commute on that same train line that you were taking into London, thinking to themselves and looking around the carriage, thinking, I don't want to be here in 20 years time. How am I going to get out of it? And they'll perhaps be following the steps that you've taken. So Wes, thank you so much for your time. 
when people want to get in contact with you, how do they do it? Is it through Instagram, Facebook? Where's the best place to go? I think the, the first port of call is always to, to check out my website because we've got all the information on there in terms of accommodation, the dates, more of the reasons and the topics we discussed today in terms of what it's like coming here. So the website is www.elixir-fitness.com. Um, the other ways to, if you want to start following me or want to get in contact on Instagram, uh, I'm Elixir Fitness Portugal or Wes underscore Trig. Uh, the, the Wes underscore Trig is my personal one, but there's got lots of pictures on there of races and you know my training run, runs. Uh, but Elixir Fitness Portugal is where I'm going to start putting more topics and content about actual training, pictures of places we go to train uh, and that type of thing. And finally, my email address is wesley.trig at elixir-fitness.com. But again, details are on the website. We will put all the contact details onto our website anyways, all links. And if all that doesn't work for you, for whatever reason, send an email to podcast at velocino.com and we pass your details on. Uh, Trig is spelled T-R-I-G-G. Well, thank you, Wes. One last quick thank you from us for uh, spending some time with us and giving us some insight into both moving abroad, chasing the dream uh, and into trail running in Portugal. So thanks once again. And uh, we hope to catch up with you soon as you progress through next, this year, uh, as well as on your racing and how the business develops. So thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you to the Velocino team for having me on your podcast. So that was Wes from Portugal. That was great, wasn't it? Really good. Really interesting. Yeah, I really loved it. So many different people that we get on the show. It's really nice. And as it seems, you also like it and enjoy it so while I'm at it. Um, thank you so much for all the fantastic reviews we received on, on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts. And if there's this one thing that you can actually help us um, moving forward is leaving a review, telling all your friends about our podcast and sharing it on social media. And if you've got any suggestions of where we should go, the kind of topics you're interested in, or even just special guests that you'd like us to get on, give us a shout, let us know. Uh, we'd love to just... Keep building the podcast based on your own feedback. And thanks again for all the fabulous reviews. And if you haven't written a review and you like it, get on there and give us another one. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you so much. So one, actually one final thing I'd like to say, Niels, you are looking very dapper this evening. Very smart. In fact, you look absolutely fantastic. And I can't help but feel it's something to do with the fact that you're wearing the new Velocino hoodie. Oh, I was about to say the same about you. Well, indeed, I'm also wearing uh, the, the hoodie. We have the two versions available. If anybody would like to support the show, we have the pullover hoodie and the zip-up front hoodie. Uh, they're both in black with just a really subtle Velocino logo. So if you like the show, you want to show the rest of the world that you're part of the Velocino Massive, go online, get to the website, and you can buy either our fabulously famous socks or one of the latest Velocino hoodies. Spice up your life. <laughs> Spice up your life with the Velocino hoodie. Mate, and on that bombshell, thank you, everybody. Because the best stories have not yet been written.